Hi, welcome to the Miles Better Conversation. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. My name is Colin Miles, aka The Numbers Guy. In this Friday Finance series, we'll be exploring some business tips and hints that all entrepreneurs and small business owners need to know to be successful in business. I love having you here and it's my passion to help all entrepreneurs grow, scale and profit faster. So I wanted to share some of my tips and hints that I've learned over the last 20 plus years of being an entrepreneur. If you stick around to the end, I have an amazing offer that I'm sure you'll want to take me up on. Hello and welcome to module two, lesson one of cutting the ribbon. I'm so excited to have you here in the second module. Congratulations on making it this far. Uh, Lots more to cover over the coming weeks in the course. So we want to just leap straight on in. So this section uh, I'm calling People Don't Buy What You Sell. It's presented by me, Colin Miles, aka The Numbers Guy, and we're going to leap on in. So what do I mean by people don't buy what you sell? As business entrepreneurs, we all believe that we sell a product. It might be a service, it may be uh, an actual physical product, it might be online courses, it might be a plant to uh, cite one of my clients uh, who's just launched a plant selling business. But in essence, most entrepreneurs think they sell something physical, Um, but they don't. People actually don't buy those physical items. That might sound a misnomer, but what I mean by this is that people buy what you stand for. People buy your culture, people buy your brand, people buy your values, and people buy buy your equity. And that's what we're going to explore here and how important it is to a small business person. So what are we going to cover in this section? Well, I like to refer also to it to the DNA of the brand. So we're going to look at what is a brand. We're going to look at what some brand equity is. We're going to look at brand positioning, how to start to think about creating your brand, what the values are, the elements of a brand, your name, and how you might expand and continue to develop your brand as it becomes a fluid living um, entity. Coming back to let the numbers decide, they'll have a major impact on all of this because if you decide your brand is very high value um, and is an exclusive brand, then guess what? Your pricing will need to reflect that and that will have an impact on your perceived margins. If, however, you're going to position your brand as a fast-moving consumer good, well, the numbers are very different then. Um, Here, the numbers need to be rapid because the margins will be very low. We'll explore more about that in module three, the powerful decision machine, uh, when we actually start looking at uh, profit margins, net margins, stock turns, service turns, etc. But still, we're in the phase of the development. So what are we going to look at um, in, in detail is these following topics. So what is a brand and why might you need one? Well, your company's brand can be a major asset, potentially the biggest asset of all. Recognizable brands builds trust, inspires employees and makes it easier to spread word of mouth and helps you create consistency and impactful marketing. So it flows through everything that you do, but it starts with some core bases. We tend to think of brands in terms of large corporations. Examples might be Coca-Cola, Apple and Amazon. 
But all of the benefits apply to small businesses and can be equally important as we try to establish who we are in often a marketplace that is saturated by large corporations. And that's where the brand, uh, your brand essence, your brand equity, what you stand for will allow you to stand out. Because in some cases, large corporations are, face, are facing black backlashes for being uh, mindless, having no soul, having no personality. And that's where the small entrepreneur can make a real difference. I mean, using your numbers, letting the numbers decide can make a big difference because you have the ability to be a little bit more guerrilla, use some uh, tactics that the big boys can't really um, tap into um, and you have your personality. So remember that your brand has monetary value that should be factored into the value of any business. Again, letting the numbers decide. Once we get to building the empire in module five and perhaps looking to either acquire a business or perhaps to sell your business, then building that brand value so that it's recognizable um, is important. And sometimes entrepreneurs struggle with that and we'll explore that in that section later. Um, and obviously when it comes to valuations, um, being a subjective amount, that's where your accountant, aka the numbers guy, somebody like myself, can help. So what is a brand? Well, you can think of a brand as your business's personality. If your business were a person, who would they be and what would, be they, what would they be like? Uh, this should immediately give you some idea of what your brand is. A little bit later on in this presentation, I'm going to go through what I call the brand onion exercise that I want you to complete as part of your homework, part of your studies um, to support this, as I believe very much so that taking things from a theoretical and actually doing them, creating memory muscle, will allow you to continually focus on what you're doing. It also will start to allow us to think about what value this might have and what numbers the need to go around it to support your proposed brand essence. Um, as I've said, if you're going to be an exclusive and upscale retailer, upscale business, well then guess what? You're going to need to factor those in when we start thinking about marketing, when we start thinking about offices, when we start thinking about presentation, and they all have a value. They all have a cost to the business, which means when we reverse engineer and start working Looking at how much you need to generate, those costs have got to be covered. But put in basic terms, your business is what you do, but your brand is who you are. However, bear in mind that a brand doesn't just come from you and it may be very different from your own private personality. That's again something we'll explore in the brand onion. And as a small entrepreneur, it's often the brand um, of your business is the brand of you. Um, and in the early days, that's great um, because it's you who is the business entrepreneur. But if you decide that building the empire is your end goal and you want to sell your business, well, then we need to start to transition away uh, from that. And again, coming back to the numbers, that's going to need to be factored in. Because what I mean by that is to switch the brand away from being brand you to being brand business, you need to bring on staff. You need them to have their input. You need them to be allowed to have the ability to um, weave their own personalities in it so that you, as the entrepreneur, can step back and step away. The brand is how your customers view your business and the values they associate it with. Um, your task is to make sure that your customer perception is as positive as possible and just as importantly, that it's a good fit for your core customers. So how can you achieve this? 
Well, that leads us very nicely into what is known um, in the industry as the brand equity, uh, the DNA or genome of your business. Um, and things that we're going you need to consider are going to be things like the brand association, uh, brand image, brand awareness, brand loyalty. And we'll look at those in a little bit more detail. The brand equity is the extra monetary value to your business that comes from having a recognisable brand. A good example would be the price differentiation between an unbranded um, pharmaceutical, maybe like uh, ibuprofen, and a famous brand like Nurofen. Or if you're in uh, Advil or uh, um, Tylenol, if you're in the US marketplace. Um, and those cost more and people will pay for those when often when you actually look at the packet uh, and the detail of the chemicals and the makeup of the product, they're almost identical to the private label. But people believe that there is value. And we'll look at that again when we look a little bit later in the next section on brand positioning. The branded products can be many times more expensive than the virtually identical unbranded one. Um, and where does that come from? Why do people pay more? Why are people happy to buy into the brand? It's because they're not buying what the company is selling. They're buying what the company stands for. And it may be that it's the way it makes them feel. Apple is a classic example of this. Um, there are many, many phones on the market that do just as much as an Apple phone and half the price. An Apple computer. I use an Apple Mac computer in my business um, and I wouldn't use anything else. But why? Well, it's something it's about the way it makes me feel. Um, so it comes down to brand because the computer is no more powerful than the, uh, a half price personal computer, a PC. But I love the way it makes me feel. I love the way the marketing, I love the support. And so brand equity is key. Um, brand uh, image, brand association is what's pulling me in on that version. And I'm sure you have many examples of yourself. And when we get you to do some of your homework a little bit later at the end of the module, we're going to get you to start thinking about some of these things as well. A famous quote comes from John Stewart, the CEO of Quaker Oats from 1922 through to 1953. So he was head of Quaker Oats for some fairly long time and he put it very well. If this business were to be split up, I would be glad to take the brands, trademarks and goodwill and you could have all the bricks and mortar and I would far I would fare better than you. And that really brings it down that actually the value of Quaker Oats is in the, the way that it's positioned itself and not in its buildings. Um, and from a numbers perspective, that has made our accounting world quite difficult as to what is the value of the business. And that's even more so um, seen when you look at some of these obscenely valued businesses at the moment. Things like Uber. On paper, it's making no money. So it should be worth almost nothing, but it's worth billions. Um, Slack has just been sold um, to uh, Salesforce and they paid 20 over $20 billion um, in late 2020 for a business that is all about perception of where it can be. So brand equity comes along, comes about because of a recognised brand generates more business. It does this by brand recognition, image and identity, more customers noticing your product. It does this through brand loyalty. Customers tend to buy what they've bought before and they buy what you stand for. And brand associations, and this where it comes in thing, your brand can inspire positive feelings in customers. I use the Apple example of how it makes me feel when I'm working using an Apple product, when I'm holding my iPhone, or when I'm interacting with my iPods, etc, um, etc. Et and then we have brand trust. 
Customers may feel a well a well branded product is more reliable. That's a perception, um, as we put in when we talk about shortly. Perception is everything, um, and so it's important that you continue to develop that and that you understand where that equity is coming from. And there are some systems, there are some mechanics which we're going to explore over the coming minutes and sessions. These combined factors may result in more units being sold or enabling you to charge higher prices because if, you, if your brand perception, your customer's perception is quality, your awareness is high level, well then you don't need to discount. And as an entrepreneur to give away things for free um, has some brand equity development as you start to identify your brand, but the numbers will tell you that you cannot give away things continuously. Um, however good your awareness is, if you're giving it away or selling it at a loss, well guess what, your brand won't be around for very long. And so a well-developed brand should therefore pay for itself over time as you develop. So that leads us on to brand positioning. And as I've said a couple of times already, perception is everything. So brand positioning, I love this graphic uh, that I found. You know, where are, you, where are they positioned? Identify your competitors. What's your market share? Look for the gaps in the market. Well, guess what? There is a, uh, there is a methodology that you can follow to help ensure where you want to be. Do you want to pay, play in a pond that's got lots of other people in it? Or do you want to find a sector within your business where you're going to be different? We talked in the last module about being a disruptor or an agitator, and that will play into um, more of, of what we did in module, uh, module one, um, drafting the blueprint. You can see this whole course is about layering on um, and developing concepts that we introduced in the previous module so that it builds and it builds. Each module, as you can see, stands alone, but you need to think back as to what you did, refer back to the, um, set the uh, elements that we did. So your brand positioning determines how your customer perceives your product or perceives your services. What does your brand make people think of it? What are its connotations, its personality? What demographic, demographic excuse me, does it target? And obviously we find that it's easier if we can use some examples of things that we already understand. So refer back to this uh, thing. There will be, the slides will be downloadable. Uh, they'll go alongside the ebook that you can download as well, uh, which will help with some more additional support as well. So what do we mean by perhaps where are they positioned? Let's look at that a little bit. These are known as perception maps or brand positioning maps. And it gives you a step-by-step -step guide to analyzing value, competition, and opportunities. So sometimes it's as simple as writing a four quadrants, and we looked at some quadrants as to uh, who you are, what you are, and why you are in module one. Well, this is gonna now start looking at your competition, um, often referred to as a competitor's map, and it'll uh, give you an idea as to where your brand might be positioned. Where do you think you want to be? And as a result, we can, um, brand position hack. That's the latest phrase, isn't it? Funnel hacking, brand hacking, not copying, but seeing what other people in your market sector are doing and how can you be better? How can you differentiate? So if you're looking at perhaps uh, this very simple one, are you going to be a high cost product, high cost services, um, and therefore have a lot of quality that go with that? Um, and it's all about perception, remember. So you might think you're high cost, you, you have a high value and you have a high quality but if people think you're expensive and don't deliver on that then obviously things might um, uh, not go your way um, and as I say it's it's important to uh, easiest way to understand this is to compare the brand positioning of uh, similar products 
I'm going to give you an example and then we'll go into a few more examples. An example that I use in the book, uh, in the ebook, is Coca-Cola and Schweppes tonic. Uh, both are fizzy soft drinks, but their brand positions are very, very different. Uh, Coke is viewed as a fun um, and uh, exciting sort of drink. Lots of, um, you know, co uh, if you think about Coca-Cola and its advertising, young people uh, enjoying themselves, family coming together, sharing um, the Christmas adverts, etc, etc. Um, whereas Schweppes, uh, for those of you in the UK, famous uh, British uh, tonic is available throughout the world. But as a result, it tends to be used with alcoholic drinks. So therefore, it's going to target a more mature market. Coca-Cola, being a soda, is often drunk on its own. Uh, it is mixed with alcohol before those you leap out and say, but I have, I have Jack and Coke or I have whiskey and Coke or vodka and Coke. Yes, but ultimately the Coke has moved into a market sector that was covered by other mixer drinks drinks such as tonic. Um, so it's more associated with a more sophistication um, as, as, a, as often known as a mixer with gin, gin and tonic, my favourite drink. Uh, as I like to say, the posh way uh, that people get drunk. Uh, so as you can see, even by just that as a bit of fun, uh, it's viewed as being more mature, more sophisticated, um, as you can see. So let's have another look and everybody understands cars. So I'm going to use this one because this, I think, is a really powerful um, example of how you might look at your perception map. So let's have a look at the different quadrants. Well, we've got a high price quadrant in the top half and we've got a low price quadrant. Um, quadrant in the bottom half. To the left hand side we've got low quality and to the right side we have high quality. Um, and again remember this is a perception. So this is my perception of, of the of the brands. Um, some will move and it will move through time. If you were to do this 20 years ago some of these um, people would be in a different uh, box and again even today you may argue that uh, um, some of them are in a different um, a different sector. I did this uh, analysis a little while ago and I think some have moved. But don't get overly hung up. It's more about the conceptual ideas that I'm thinking of. All right. So again, if you were to ask somebody what the perception of a Mercedes is that it's a high price vehicle with great quality. If you look at the other end and you look at Kia, um, which historically and Dasha were viewed as very, very low value, um, low priced items and low quality. In the car industry, unfortunately, today, it's very difficult to actually get a low quality car um, because of the days of the 70s and 80s when literally cars fell apart if you didn't buy a Mercedes or a Porsche um, have gone. So it's a little bit more difficult when you look at it that way. But it's about where the perception is. If you turn up in a Mercedes, most people will go, "Ooh, look at you. Now, Mercedes have tried to move into the uh, to compete by bringing out um, the um, series, uh, you know, um, lower series, you've got the A class, you've got the B class, um, etc. But if you think most, if you turn up in an S class Mercedes, most people are going to go, ooh, BMW the same, um, high price, high quality, but not in the same level as Mercedes-Benz in perception. And that's probably because they have the series one, the series two, the series three. If you're looking at a Series 7 from a BMW, then it is probably in the same point as an S-Class Mercedes. So within a brand positioning map, you will have different, uh, with a different products, you'll have a different perception. Mini, as an example, might now be viewed as higher quality um, and a lower price as it's moved to bring out some of the lower models. 
But again, if you bought a Ford or a Honda or a Toyota, and again, I apologize to these brands if, if you work for them, but they're not perceived as prestige brands, um, but they are perceived now with great quality um, and good value. And so it might be that you change some of those things. Again, um, VW might be where Ford is and you might replace the VW logo with um, Skoda, um, whose perception was very much 20 years ago that it was low price and low quality and it would have been off the Richter scale. So you need to think about what's around you and what uh, perhaps is going to work for you. And there is no hard and fast rule, but it does give you an idea to think about where your brand is going to position and as a result, what your numbers will stay. Because a Mercedes-Benz better have a very swanky um, showroom because uh, it... Uh, um, yeah, you better have a, a, a swanky showroom for Mercedes because uh, it, uh, it it fits the brand. Whereas the Dasher might you might get away with the fact that it's lower value, so therefore the, the brand isn't quite so strong. Uh, so again, all about perception. Now, one trick that can help you fix your brand's personality is to perhaps think of three words when used together will uniquely describe your product. Um, we're using X and Y here, so in case of high price and high quality, you might have fun, you might have um, sophistication, etc., um, etc. Et so an example might be Coca-Cola, coming back to that, uh, would be fun on one side, whereas tonic would be um, sophisticated. Uh, on a Y-axis, um, young and mature. And again, you can put your brands in there um, and enjoy them accordingly. So uh, um, yeah, that, uh, that sort of helps a little bit with that. So if we come back and have another look at the Coca-Cola example, because again, that's really well known. Um, the Coca-Cola positioning is that the, the competitive frame of reference is colas, obviously, um, Pepsi being a major competitor, but also other non-alcoholic drinks, um, sodas, Sprite, um, Fanta, etc., etc. The point of difference that Coke would like to believe that believe it is, it has a distinct taste profile. And if you remember back, if you're old enough, like I am in the 80s, uh, they tried to change the taste uh, and that caused an uproar. They do certainly believe in the optimism view of, uh, optimistic view of life, the bubbles, the people leaping about, the people dancing. Uh, again, back into the 80s, and I did say there will be lots of 80s references. Uh, you know, I want to make, in fact, that's a 70s reference. They had a great advert, we want to make the, uh, teach the world to sing. Um, it was all about harmony. It was all about being a now a classic, iconic symbolism. Uh, the bottle, uh, the tick, the uh, father, the, the Christmas snow, the Christmas um, Santa adverts, etc., etc. But they also want points of parity, and it's contemporary. It's up to date, and they brought out obviously Diet Coke. Then they went to Coke Zero, um, and it's the refreshing, refreshing flavour, um, and it's all the you know the bubbles, etc., the emotional side that comes out. And obviously they have a slogan. Obviously, uh, you know, enjoy Coca-Cola, the Coke side of life. They, they, they adapt those as obviously things move forward. Um, so that's that's a, so hopefully that gives you some examples and we'll ask you in your homework to really start to drill down a little bit. The more time you spend on thinking about what you are and what you stand for as we move through this presentation, the better your um, positioning is going to be. And it's going to help you understand what your numbers need to look like to be successful. Um, because again, as I say, if we're going for the low end, well, then our numbers will look very different um, in margins and uh, return than they will if we're going for the high end. What's next on our list? Well, define your brand. Okay, so how can you define your brand? You may have a very clear idea of your business identity. Then again, you may be so busy that you haven't a clue. 
Uh, the first step to building your brand is to take a step back and see your business from your customer's perspective. This will form the foundation of all your branding and promotional activity. Um, as entrepreneurs, we're all about now. Let's get it going. Let's get it launched. Let's get it started. But everything like building a house, you need your foundations. The stronger the foundations are, the better you understand things, the more likely you're going to get it right. So know your customer is super clear. In drafting the Blueprint module, we talked a lot about creating your customer avatar, understanding the who, the what, the why. We talked about your dream customers. Um, so it's important that we refer back to that um, because we're now looking to moving into defining the launch process, cutting that ribbon. So firstly, think about your customer, as I've mentioned. A huge variety of people may use your product and or services. So do we want to appeal to everybody? Probably not. But most importantly, businesses have an ideal customer who is most typical. Your dream 100 customer, as is now often referred to. Focus on this kind of person and how you might appeal to them. For example, it's no good having a brand that appeals mostly to middle-aged parents if your core customers are teen. Our teens. So again, we need to refer back to our customer avatar. That's why we spent some time giving it a personality because it's going to help define who we want to be and who we want to target. So create a profile and we did this in the first module. So refer back to it, but let's start refining it. Let's start making sure that we're working towards our ideal customer. Um, and again, so we want to revisit and make sure, are we comfortable with what is their age range? What uh, gender are they? Do they have children? Are they high, middle or low income, etc., etc. Do they live in the countryside? What might their interest be? So revisit the customer um, avatar that we created in the first module. And if you haven't created your customer avatar, then now is the time to do it. We need to stop, uh, return to module one, drafting the blueprint and get that basis done because we haven't even, if you can't, if you don't have that done, then really we are flying blind and we're then just thinking it's something that we want to do rather than something that the customers really want out there. Um, there are many, many attributes that you need to consider and we explored them a little further in the other module as well. Uh, if you have any questions, obviously I'm here to help. So reach out, maybe use some of your coins uh, from the and from a Miles Better Emporium section uh, and book in a session where we can perhaps brainstorm a little bit. You then also want to start thinking about what is your unique selling proposition. Um, this is often referred to as the USP, unique selling proposition, unique selling points. It's identify what makes you different from your competitors, such as perhaps is it something around service? Are you going to be a disruptor? Are you being innovative? Do you have additional value, convenience, quirkiness, etc., etc.? Um, again, it comes back to your who, what, and why. What makes you different? The four pillars, um, the four quadrants um, section that we looked at in um, drafting the blueprint, um, again, is coming key. That's why we did the homework then. So we had some basis. But again, let's revisit that. An example here that Miles Better, uh, Miles Better, sorry, uh, is real time is one of our unique selling points that we'll work with you today, answering your questions today and not rely on numbers that are nine to 18 months old. We'll do it in plain speak so that you understand what we're talking about and that we're training you to allow you to make powerful decisions because we believe that people aren't able to do that with the information provided by other accounting services. So think about the one, that, the one or two that really stand out. And I've just given you some examples of what we believe here at Miles Better Accounting. Uh, you need at least one aspect that sums up what you're all about and where your energy is focused. 
And we're going to come back a little bit later when we look at the brand onion about how our name reflects what we do. All right. Uh, so that hopefully gives you a little bit of a clue. There we go. So we think we are miles better than other accounting companies. Well, hey, you can see there's a link and we'll explore that as we move through. Um, so as I say, you need to find one that has things uh, that you can focus your energies on. It isn't, it can't, if you can't easily find one, then go back to your ideal customer and find out what they uh, most uh, want to solve their problem. And again, affectionately known to as the pain point. What did I wake up this morning with a problem that I need solving? Because if you can identify that in your brand and in your message, then your consumer and your customer is going to do well. That leads us on to the third section of defining your brand, which is your culture is your brand. We need to look at the culture. We need to look at the values and we look at the way you do business and what you're generally like as a company. You can uh, um, have obviously a great brand USP. You might know your customer, but if you don't know what your culture is, what is it that emulates through your whole business, then we're missing this third component. I hope you found the business tip of use. And as I promised, I, wanted to, I want you to be able to profit, grow and scale faster. So, so please subscribe to this podcast for more tips via the various platforms. But also head over to www.thenumbersguy.live, where if you drop in your email, I'll instantly send you a copy of The Accounting Translator, a plain speaking guide to accounting, the language of business that I have developed over the last few years. You can also arrange a free 15 minute discovery call where I can help you bring the concepts to life in your business. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. And as a thank you from me, Colin, aka The Numbers Guy, I'll then send you a further bonus ebook from my latest online course, Let The Numbers Decide.